online Earth Day Network proudly recorded recently that Earth Day 2008 was a massive success, raised awareness among millions of people from around the world of the plight of the planet and the need for humanity to save it. I've mentioned some of this in one other message briefly. We'll deal with a little bit more of it today. More and more attention, as you know, is being given by governments of our world and private individuals in their efforts to save uh, the planet. A recent ABC News forum only recently increased this growing sense of, of panic in the world as they made statements like, and I quote, we really have less than a decade to start getting this right. If we're still dragging our feet 10 years from now, it will become almost impossible for the world to avert intolerable consequences. They're calling this forum the ABC News Forum on Surviving the Century. You know, there is a growing sense, isn't there, of doom in the average person's thinking related to the tenure of Earth's resources and the ability of Earth to sustain life. And so they're attempting to address it in a number of ways. One of the key ones, of course, is to impact a generation of children who have been now for several years being taught this kind of way of of thinking. One particular curriculum that I came across in my research, which happens to be actually growing in popularity, is called the International Baccalaureate Curriculum. They're replacing the learning of facts and objective truth with one-world standardizations. As a side note, this curriculum is now in league with the United Nations and it has a clear appeal to a one-world government. Multiculturalism is just one more way of its code for one-world government. We know it's going to come true. They'll get their wish eventually under the leadership of the Antichrist as the world is ruled or attempted to be ruled by this one man. Well, this particular curriculum has replaced objective learning uh, you know, things like math and science and with, with just sort of this knowledge of theory, uh, peace studies, environmentalism, ecology. And the irony, though, of this educational curriculum that voids the need for objective truth actually undermines its own importance. It dismisses the need to go to school. Just learn everything you can to serve Mother Nature and save Earth. Now, frankly, I would expect the world to believe it's in its own power, its own hand to save the earth. They don't believe in a creator, and therefore they are subjugated uh, by earth. They're subjugated to live in fear of nature. Mother nature is someone that ultimately is to be feared. She isn't very benevolent, is she? And the only time you hear God brought in is when mother nature seems to be out of control, and then we are running to God. Taking care of her is paramount. In fact, she has become our country's most politically correct idol. What's even more troubling, though, to me is the fact that the world certainly has assumed sovereign control over the future of our planet, and they talk as if they are in control, but the church is increasingly speaking in terms of these uh, beliefs today. One article recently dealt with how all these denominations and world religions are joining together over ecology. That's sort of now the platform that everybody can get together on. And the headline blazed these words as I I went to the the, uh, religion section of Earth Day Network. Here's the headline. Something we can all believe in, as if it's the most important thing. It then went on to talk about how all the faith systems of the world are uniting to save the planet. 
the article also happened to just show on its front page the president of the National Association of Evangelicals smiling, holding a microphone, standing next to a Muslim, standing next to a rabbi. All of these faiths are uniting to save the planet, and our theology is so corrupted that we can't see through it, can't see the error in it. By the way, I found it interesting that, that faith leaders were encouraging, and I'm quoting, pastors of any religion to sign a pledge. And here's the pledge, and I'm encouraged to sign this too, of course. Earth Day Network's Global Warming in the Pulpit Pledge. I'm actually in favor of warming in the pulpit. I think it's a good idea. I think there ought to be heat and fire in the pulpit. And there isn't much today. There is a lack of fire, a lack of conviction. Of course, they're talking about something else, I know. Well, to help pastors out, Earth Day Network's communities of faith have actually written thousands of sermons that now pastors can pull from and, and they can use. Titles like penguins and polar bears and people too. And by the way, it's in that order. Make no mistake. I found one entitled Passover and the Global Climate Crisis. I went ahead and pulled up that rabbinical homily for the Jewish people, by the way, and was blown away by the way it twisted the elements of the Passover to refer to ecology and global warming. One Presbyterian pastor, Baptists are involved, I'm not just picking any one denomination, but he was gushing in this one article and about this area and the fact that there is now an Earth Day in April. And it's celebrated now by literally tens of thousands of churches. There's an Earth Day Sunday in April. We, we missed it, uh, <laughs> held recently. Among other activities, he talked about how his, his church had children go around the church building, this is what they did for Sunday school, and look for things that harmed the earth and those things that helped the earth. The church has banned styrofoam cups uh, from usage. Uh, the children looked for ways the church could save water. And the bad thing in and of itself, but that was now the thrust of their theology. And this particular pastor said, you know, we ought to think about it this way. You think about it, he said, almost everything in our hymnal refers to water. I thought that'd be a good Baptist hymnal. We, we actually believe in water. He said, everything refers to water. And then he went on to complain, much of where we turn to for wisdom on environmental issues is the same source that underlies evolution, and that's posed a difficulty for some churches. We would be one of them. In fact, it goes beyond difficulty. It is so troubling. People are led along that they've set aside the truth of God's word to now save the planet. In other words, evolutionism creates the foundation for it, and it does. God didn't create the world. God then doesn't have a purpose for the world. God really doesn't control the world. God doesn't sovereignly determine the balance and duration of resources of the world for humanity as well as determine the length of the planet's existence. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, these are all some of the terrifying, panic-driving byproducts of evolutionism. It is all up to you. It is all up to you. And you better save the planet. You better make sure that there are resources for humankind because God isn't in control if there is a God and he has nothing to do with planet Earth. So we are in trouble. I read recently about churches in Maryland who are actually now on the bandwagon. They're creating an association to, and I quote their mission statement, to establish Earth healing ministries. 
to revere and cherish the earth, end quote. Ecology has become so distorted that it's become the latest religion in America and environmentalists are the newest priesthood. So the church is all a flutter on this now. To establish earth healing ministries which cause people to revere and cherish the earth. You know what we ought to be passionate about? We ought to be passionate about creating heart life healing ministries so that people revere and cherish creator God. How's that for a mission statement? That is ours. That is our mission statement. And every day, we ought to be more and more passionate about life-healing ministry that causes people to look to God and trust Him for His sovereign control over not just the planet, but the resources on the planet. I found it interesting researching this subject this week that every day when the sun rises over Washington, D.C., its first rays fall on the eastern side of the city's tallest monument by design. It's the Washington Monument, 555 feet in the air. And the architects and the committees wanted those first rays to catch and reflect the eastern side of that aluminum capstone where these words are inscribed. Laos Deo, which is Latin for praise be to God. I think it's in Latin so most people can't read it and sue the state to have it removed, frankly. But imagine, the first thing to catch the sunlight in our capital are words that speak praise to our God. You think that happened today? It probably would be declaring some kind of praise to the sun, S-U-N, or to Mother Nature. Now listen, ladies and gentlemen. There is no question that fallen man, and we're not dealing with this in our sermon, but I will say it because it's true. There's no doubt that fallen man has failed in his God-given stewardship over the earth. We under him steward earth. We are to enjoy the earth. We failed in our ability to enhance the earth, its beauty and resources. However, and I'm not excusing mankind's failure, but you need to understand this shocking truth. The damage... Mankind has done to this planet is in no way comparable to the damage that will be done to the planet by God. He will destroy more water than man ever polluted. He will level more trees than we ever planted. He will destroy more species of animals we ever preserved. In fact, he will destroy most of the earth and the universe until in the sum, summation of his judgment, he will destroy the rest of it and then recreate a new heaven and a new earth for us to enjoy forever. Amen. Here's the greater irony, though, to me, is that God will use nature... Mankind's chief source of idolatry, he will use nature to punish mankind. The very thing that man revered will turn and bite him in these coming judgments. The very earth that man placed all of his love and cherished attention upon will one day become the very weapon of judgment in the hand of creator God. Mankind has come to cherish and revere the earth and God will use the idol of earth to judge the human race. They will have worshipped mother nature. She will not be benevolent 
their idol mother will be used by God to destroy them. We've arrived at even more terrifying judgments in our study in Revelation. Let's pick it up at chapter 8 as the first archangel blows on that first trumpet. And this first trumpet impacts the earth's surface. We're going to deal with four trumpets all in one sermon at lightning speed. And that is a miracle in and of itself. All right, look at verse 7. The first trumpet sounded. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now at this point, remember ladies and gentlemen, we are well into the tribulation. We're actually over the, over the halfway point of the tribulation. And you notice here the implication is there are plenty of trees, there is plenty of water, plenty of foliage, implying rainfall, water, and the normal cycles on the planet. It's in full working order. All the way into the middle part of the tribulation. And then following the tribulation, Christ will reign. At the end of that thousand year reign, a new heaven and a new earth will be created. So we're well into the tribulation here. Let me make a couple more comments. There isn't anything about this language, by the way, that shows us that these plagues are just symbolic. That they aren't literal. That they don't literally happen. There isn't anything in the language of that sort. They, they are no more symbolic than the plagues of judgment on the land of Egypt centuries earlier. Real frogs, real hail, real lice, real locusts, real darkness, real death. Now many commentators like to read into Revelation chapter 8 everything from nuclear war to nuclear fallout. And it is even more sensational and just taking it at face value. There may very well be a nuclear war sometime in the future of, of the planet, but there's no reason to believe that these judgments here are anything more than literal God-ordained judgments in which he uses the elements of nature to carry out his judgment. In fact, if you look at verse 7, the syntax indicates that the blood and the hail and the firestorm were created in heaven and literally hurled to the earth. Look at verse 7 again. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. Can you imagine satellite networks picking up this storm hurtling toward earth? Real hail, real fire, real blood. It would be horrifying. And what's going to happen? Well, you might circle the phrase or underline the phrase one-third in your text. It's significant here in this entire chapter, and it'll appear over and over and over again. In verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12, you'll see it appearing over and over. The, the repeated use of this phrase clearly communicates to us that the results of these judgments are not random, just sort of random natural events, but they are carefully designed divine judgments, they are meted out for specific results, and one-third of different things are affected. Now, the amazing thing is that when you study these judgments, it's that two-thirds survive. But we do know that God holds it back. In fact, it's a demonstration of his mercy, and it can only go so far, and only one-third will be affected. And so this first trumpet signifies a terrifying storm. It will create Forced fires all over uh, the planet, destroying trees 
and foliage, and there will no doubt be seminars and conferences and emergency sessions of the United Nations if they are not if it's not defunct by then, news documentaries and people everywhere desperately trying to cope with the incredible damage to Earth's ecosystem. This is just the beginning of the archangel's trumpets. And while this first trumpet brings devastation to green foliage on the planet, the second trumpet brings terror to the ocean. Of our world. Look at the second trumpet which impacts the oceans in verse 8. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Here's one of the similes, one of the few similes that John uses in this passage. This was something that he observed being thrown again from heaven, as if from the hand of God. He said, it was like a great mountain burning with fire that fell into the sea, literally the ocean. Now, this is a reasonable description by the Apostle John, then, of of an asteroid. John doesn't have a word for it. He says it's like a mountain, and it's burning, and it falls into the ocean. It's interesting that scientists identify an asteroid as a mountain-sized chunk of rock hurtling through space. In fact, they track them even now, well over a 1,000 of them. They know their orbits, and they can calculate when they think one may hit the planet. They're saying one will hit the planet in about 2036, somewhere around there. Well, one of these will, in fact, one author explained, if such a rock came toward the earth, the friction of earth's atmosphere would cause it to burn. It'd be a fireball. Astronomers are calculating the orbits of these known asteroids to see if any of them would come close enough to strike the earth. If one happened to land in the ocean, it could, quote, easily produce tidal waves, plural, 1,000 feet High. This ceiling is about 40 feet high. A thousand feet high. Add to that the fact that John records here something that is not just a natural disaster that can be just explained away, but a divine miracle. The water, he writes, turns to blood. The Greek word is haima, from which we get our word hema or hematology, the study of blood. This is reminiscent of the plague in Egypt where God turned the water of the Nile into what? Into blood. One can only imagine the staggering death of sea creatures as one third of the ocean is now affected. In fact, John specifically adds at the end of verse 8 that one third of the ships are destroyed. The ensuing uh, tsunamis that come from this, this large mountain, this chunk of rock hitting the ocean... That's going to capsize ships. Uh, These tidal waves, these mega tsunamis will will capsize freighters as well as other ocean vessels of all kinds. In fact, it's going to wash coastal cities away. This is not a science fiction movie. This is reality when the judgment of God comes. You can imagine the naval fleets of every major country now severely crippled. You can imagine seafood, which will now be rationed, and coastal regions, depending on fishing, will experience difficulty as food is rationed. 
People are going to lose their source of income. Their livelihood will be completely lost. God has scorched the earth. In fact, even at this time, many believe that these trumpets are being blown one after another. These first four are almost simultaneous. Uh, They're happening at the same uh, time, as it were. They're battling forest fires on one hand where crops and grass is being burned up as, as earth, its surface, the belief that its mother nature is now being scorched. And then the second trumpet comes along and the very object that mankind believed was the womb of life, the ocean. The ocean, which mankind has long revered as sort of the womb of mother nature, it will now turn and and bring death, putrid, corrupt decay. You can only imagine dead fish, dead whales, shipwrecked vessels drifting up on the shores of our planet. Be horrifying. That which man revered seems to have been turned, unleashed upon him. Imagine what this will do to the value of real estate on the coast of our world. That's where you go to vacation, right? You go to the beach, you go to the coast. I mean, you maybe are thinking of maybe buying a little cottage out there someday. The place to live. I can tell you the place to live in the tribulation will be in the middle of some desert where no tree can fall over on you, crush your house. No foliage or grass can burn your house down. No tsunami can drown you. That that value is going to go sky high. And the value of real estate along the coasts of our world will plummet as people run from the shore seeking safety. You say, well, okay, Stephen, I was thinking about buying a cottage, but I won't now. I'll buy some land inland by a lake or river. Well, maybe not. The third trumpet impacts rivers and lakes. I didn't save either. Uh, Verse 10. The third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven. He tries to describe it as burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Now one third of rivers and lakes and natural springs are poisoned. A star falls from heaven. There isn't any reason to take this any other way than literally. In fact, the word star can be used for any heavenly body outside the, 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 the moon and the sun. Used by the ancients, used in the Bible that way. The ancient world, in fact, used this word lampas, the Greek language, or torch, to signify the burning of a meteor as it streaked through the earth's atmosphere. And John uses that same word here. So in the previous judgment, you have a solid object that falls into the ocean, creating massive tsunamis, and the waters turn to blood. In this trumpet, the language indicates a falling object which is disintegrating, like sparks flying off a torch as it passes through Earth's atmosphere. It's literally spewing fire and poisonous debris which fall into the Earth's rivers as it sweeps across the face of the Earth. Now, someone might say, Stephen, there's no way that one object, a meteor, could poison one-third of the Earth's rivers. I found it interesting in researching this a little further to find help, ironically, from the National Geographic Society, a society so well known for its creationism. Uh, This society records that there are only about 100 principles, 100, principal rivers in the world. 
They range in length from the Amazon, which is about 4,000 miles long, to the Rio de la Plata, which is about 150 miles long. And these 100 rivers supply the fresh water network of the world. In other words, this falling star could poison only a few of these principal rivers and and literally affect one-third of the earth's fresh water network. And did you notice in this verse, the falling star happens to have a name. It's called wormwood, epsinthos. This is the word for a plant that grew in Palestine that had a very bitter, bitter taste. Throughout the scriptures, this did have meaning. It, it referred to the, the judgment, the bitter judgment of God. Several times Jeremiah referred to people eating and drinking wormwood as a symbol of eating and drinking the judgment of God. So now, folks, just try to imagine this scene. Oceans are reeking with blood and death. Coastlines are littered with carcasses and ruined ships. One-third of the earth's surface is on fire. Clean water is nearly impossible to find as rivers and lakes and private wells yield nothing but the bitterness of wormwood. I know one thing. There will be no more Earth Day. There will be no more happy banners to Mother Nature or the planet. There will be no songs singing to her. There will will be no seminars on how we need to cherish and revere the planet. Listen, there isn't much left to cherish. There isn't much left to revere. Earth has become a scorched idol in the judgment of God. There will be no Earth Day sermons now. Using styrofoam cups won't be the critical issue. The critical issue will be that you simply have something in your cup to drink. Saving nature and the animal kingdom and the planet will no longer be the mission of mankind as men and women and their children simply try to survive the planet, which seems to have turned with vengeance against them. Let me stop for just a moment and describe what I think is really going on in our world. God created the human heart to worship. Intuitively, mankind knows there's something we ought to be worshiping. You either worship God or you worship something less worthy and certainly less benevolent. God has created the human heart to crave. We crave. We either crave God or we crave something less fulfilling, something that will not fulfill, something that will be self-destructing. In fact, we are the servants of whatever it is we worship. You worship money and you are its slave. You will give your life to making it. It'll be all that matters. You are subjugated by money. And it is a difficult taskmaster. It will require your life of worship. You worship 
sexual immorality, and you will become the slave of your passions. It will dictate to you your life. You worship nature, and you will become the servant of nature. Paul said it very clearly in Romans chapter 1. The animal kingdom will not be yours to rightfully own and enjoy. You will live as their servant to take care of them. You're on the planet for them now. You are on the planet for them to enjoy life, not you. In fact, it will become your duty to make your pet happy. If you have a cat, tough luck. (laughs) Can't make a cat happy. Can you imagine dedicating your life to the belief that earth is some kind of living being? That there is a mother nature who really does produce life and then live through this horror? These miracles, along with natural disasters, are going to be added to the seals that have already brought terrifying recognition that God, who sits on his throne, is moving against mankind, and this is the wrath of the Lamb. But it only gets worse. The first trumpet impacts Earth's surface. The second trumpet impacts Earth's oceans. The third trumpet impacts Earth's rivers and lakes and freshwater supply. And now... The last of the four, in quick succession, the fourth trumpet impacts sun, moon, and stars. Look at verse 12. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Now, you need to notice carefully, John isn't saying that a third of the sun no longer works. If that were true, earth would freeze in a matter of minutes, I'm sure. Don't know exactly the period of time, but those that I've read said it would freeze over solid in a quick, short amount of time. What I believe John is recording here is that God will only allow the celestial beings that provide light for the planet to operate at a diminished rate of time. Again, this is reminiscent of the plagues of Egypt, where God effectively gives mankind his wish. Mankind hates the light. Mankind loves darkness because his deeds are what? Evil. Okay, I'll give you your wish. I'll give you more darkness. This is what's happening here. The human race will go from the normal cycles of light and darkness to only having around eight hours of light a day. By the way, this understanding fits perfectly with the prophecy of Amos, who wrote of this day of judgment. Listen to what he said. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. You can imagine the number of miracles of his sovereign hand as he manipulates the movement of the universe itself. But here's something deeper that's happening. This judgment once again strikes at the idolatry of the human heart. For centuries, in fact, going all the way back to Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah, going all the way back there, mankind has supposedly gathered direction and wisdom from where? The stars, the bodies of light, the sun and moon. The stars and planets have not only been studied, which is a wonderful study called astronomy. They are worshipped and revered and sought after for wisdom, which is the basis of astrology. An entirely different thing. Astronomy is a wonderful science of discovering the far reaches of the universe. And I am amazed when I see the picture sent back by Hubble. 
The vast creative handiwork of God and astronomers study the calculations of the movements and it, 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 it does exactly what David said it would do. It, it, it gives glory to God for those of us who believe in him and our creator. But astrology is the belief that a star somewhere out there determines your fate. And so you got to figure out what's happening. And so horoscopes are, are watched carefully by millions upon millions of people who, who consult them every day. Leaders in nations determine the events of state based on the movements of the stars in our generation, just as in the past. Astrology goes all the way back to Babylon. You consult any book on astrology and they will take you back to the learning of the Chaldeans or literally the Babylonians. They were the ones who originally developed the Zodiac. They created the Zodiac by dividing the sky into sections and then placing, by virtue of stars within those sections, meaning. And so a person's destiny is determined by your star, which is in a certain section of the Zodiac, which then determines your fate. That sign you've been born under. But someone will say, well, Stephen, didn't God say that the stars were created as signs in the heavens? Yes, God said that in Genesis 1.14. However, the word sign does not mean source of wisdom or even direction. The same word was used for the plagues of Egypt. Moses called them signs. Deuteronomy 29.3. Why? Not because they provided wisdom, not because they gave directive for your life, but because they symbolize the hand of creator God and his judgment. The stars are signs in that they point to the glory of a creator God. Psalm 19.1. They tell of the glory of God. The sun and moon are visual reminders of the power of a creator God. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. But what has mankind done with this? He has revered them. He has gone to them for supposed wisdom. But if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So this is idolatry. This is the replacement of God with a star. You go all the way back to the Babylonians who then perfected this system in Egypt by their application of the zodiac. In fact, the pyramids were constructed with certain mathematical relationships to the stars which they revered, and cherished, and followed. They were the servants of, of the sun, and their pharaoh was simply the offspring of the sun. Archaeologists, in fact, I found it interesting, just as a side note, they found that the sphinx was, in fact, constructed to preach an astrological message. Just as the capstone of the Washington Monument declares the glory of God, so the Sphinx was designed to declare the glory not of God, but of the Zodiac, the stars of the heavens. It has the head of a woman. You've probably seen pictures of it. That represents Virgo. And it has the body of a lion. That represents Leo. Virgo is the first sign of the Zodiac, and Leo is the last sign of the Zodiac. In other words, the Sphinx represented the Alpha and the Omega of the Zodiac, the beginning and the end. In fact, the word Sphinx in the Greek language simply means joining. They believed it was the meeting point of the Zodiac. It indicated through the priest, through this construction, that the starting point of all of life on earth began there, in Egypt, in the womb of the Nile. You can believe that if you want. 
But I, however, believe the words of this revelation as it comes to a close. And Jesus Christ says in Revelation chapter 21, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. I am, in other words, the starting point of life. It wasn't on the banks of the Nile. It was within the council of triune God. For God created the heavens and the earth. The worship of the stars and planets, by the way, are going to one day utterly, completely collapse. Horoscopes will one day be rubbish, discarded by the millions who tried to follow them. Why? Because God's going to dim the lights. Joel prophesied in Joel chapter 2, verse 10, 31, and chapter 3, verse 15. He says it this way, the sun and moon will grow dark in this day and the stars will lose their brightness. Mankind has pursued every avenue within nature for wisdom, pursued every avenue for direction, except the creator of nature, our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all things were created. Nothing was created apart or without him. Colossians 1.16. And so we go to him. We don't cause an affront to the sovereignty of God by seeking out some star, some chunk of matter, which will somehow direct our life. What an offensive thing to creator God. No, mankind will. He will seek wisdom from created things rather than the creator. And on this coming day of judgment, God will cause mankind in the darkness to scramble, confused. They cherished and worshipped the creature rather than the creator, Romans 125. And now they're environmental idols, all their ecological sermons, their idolatry of Mother Nature, yes, I don't use that flippantly, idolatry, because nature and earth have replaced true worship of our Creator. And this Creator in this day will turn their idols against them with horrifying effects. There will be no Earth Day, probably never, ever again. The chapter ends with the appearance of an eagle. My text reads in verse 13, let's look there quickly. Then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, those earth dwellers. That's a phrase used 12 times in the book of Revelation to speak of those who disbelieve God. They dwell on the earth. They live for the earth. They're subjugated by the earth. Woe to them. Because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. In other words, God here in his mercy is informing everyone on the planet that there's more judgment coming. This is an act of his mercy. So if you're not ready by now, get ready by getting right with God. Now some people point out that this can't be an eagle because it's speaking. Well, I think God can pull this off. He made a donkey speak. In Numbers chapter 22, right, to his prophet, I think the eagle will speak at God's bidding, and God can do that. And Perhaps its satellites would pick it up and follow its course around the planet, zero it in, and everybody's watching it on their plasmas, and they can hear its message. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. There are three more blasts of trumpets from three angels which are about to come. Ladies and gentlemen, the the wrath of God is unstoppable. 
here. And it reminds me, and I want to say it, that your appointment with God is unavoidable. Whether you live at this period of time or you're living now, and it doesn't happen in your lifetime. Be warned of this description of judgment to come. Mankind cannot avoid his ultimate appointment with Creator God. Neither can you, and neither can I. So are you ready? Are you ready? Have you pinned your hopes to the planet? Are you seeking wisdom outside of God? Or have you come to Him and found in Him your refuge and your strength? I close with this comment by a physicist who wrote in the Wall Street Journal. Somebody sent me this article. This unbelieving physicist wrote, One of the hottest topics being debated in D.C. is an exit strategy from Iraq. But no matter how difficult this may be, physicists are struggling with an even greater exit strategy. The latest data from space satellites are unmistakable. The universe will eventually die in a big freeze. Galaxies are being pushed apart. Someday, when looking heavenward, we will be quite lonely, with other galaxies too far away to be observed. Worse yet, it will be deathly cold. Now, I don't know how this relates to global warming, but he thinks it's going to get cold. He didn't read the course book, evidently. But at any rate, this is his view. As the universe accelerates, he says, temperatures will plunge throughout the universe. Billions of years from now, I love that, just billions. We don't know how many, but billions of years from now. Here's what's going to happen. The stars will have exhausted their nuclear fuel. The oceans will freeze. The sky will become totally dark. And the universe will consist of dead neutron stars and nuclear debris. Is all intelligent life on earth doomed to die when the universe itself perishes? It seems as if the iron laws of physics have issued a death warrant. That gets to his point. But there is one, still one possible exit strategy. To leave the universe itself. Do the laws of physics allow for the creation of some wormhole connecting our universe to a younger, more hospitable one? In the year 2021, a new space probe will be launched, which may be able to prove or disprove these conjectures. Can a gateway be built to connect our universe with another? For intelligent life, there is no choice. Here's his last statement. Either we leave for another universe, or we die in the old one. You know, he is kind of right, isn't he? Make plans to leave this universe for a new one. Now, can a gateway be found to that new place? Yes. Is is there an exit strategy from this scorched, blood-soaked, troubled planet? Yes. The exit strategy happens to be, and has been now for several thousand years, our Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament looked forward to him. We look back to his payment for the penalty of our sin. This one who said, I am the way. I like to think of it in the light of this study. I am the way out of here. I am the life. I am the starting point of life. I am the starting point of eternal life. I am the starting point of spiritual life. I am the Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the last. I get the first word and I have the last word. Follow me, he says, and live forever in this new heaven 
and new earth. And for those of us who believe, that's exactly where we are headed. My invitation to you, if you do not believe, is to believe. This could be just around the corner. And if you walk out of here in rebellion and you say, I choose not to believe, then in sincerity I say, buy some land in a desert while it's still cheap because it's going to go up in value. 